There is a song for every breakup you've ever had. Welcome to Groovy Movies. My name is Lily Austin. Ah, my name is James Brailsford. Hello. Hello. And this week we are talking about Taylor Swift's Eras movie. The big Woo. cinematic event of the year. Forget Oppenheimer. Forget Barbie. Yeah. Forget Super Mario Brothers movie made. Oh a my billion. god. Yes, can't yeah. Brilliant. Forget all those things. Cinematic high point. Well, forget all of that because Taylor Swift's Eras Tour has come to a cinema near you, an IMAX theatre. And obviously we are we're big Swifties at Groovy Movies. <laughs> we had to talk about it. <laughs> I, I'm an appreciator, but I wouldn't say I'm someone who knows her work back to front. Like the past past year, I've had Midnight's on quite heavy rotation. I love that album. Really? I've, I've, I yeah, didn't know yeah. that, James. Yeah, well, you know, about a year ago, I'm just like, okay, Taylor's, I, I've, I keep hearing about Taylor Swift. I should listen to some of her music to see if it's my kind of thing. Right. And uh, I, I found myself listening to Midnight's more and more. I think it's a great album, actually. I think I think it's probably for somebody who's like not really into Taylor Swift. I'd say maybe start on Midnight's and work backwards, perhaps. It definitely was a good intro for me. I had no idea. I had no idea. Oh, um, well, yeah. I uh, I guess yeah. We should just like list our Swift credentials before we <laughs> yeah, get into sure. this. Justify. I'm I'm I wouldn't call myself a Swifty. I don't know all about the Easter eggs and the backstory, and I'm not. I'm not completely right. across her like romantic life as much as like certain Got you. people. Um, but I do know I am familiar with all her albums and I've listened from a fairly young age. So, so would you be right to say that she's very much like the soundtrack to your life uh, to a certain degree? She, she's somebody whose songs have been throughout your life the past 10, 15 years? I would say so. She's definitely the soundtrack to my breakups. I mean, for anyone Ooh. who's new to Taylor Swift, there is a song for every breakup you've ever had, every romantic drama you've ever had. She has been through it all. So you will be able to find one that fits with with whatever emotional thing you're going through with a partner. I was there going, gosh, this is the ultimate chronicler of being a monogamous person trying to get love to work. It's like, it's all there. There's every facet <laughs> is explored. Monogamous, but also someone who has, I would argue, has been very lucky in love. Many different relationships. I, I, I guess, yeah. But the monogamous ideal is each that that one is meant to be it forever now. Yeah, yeah. And I just want, I just wanted to find a it forever now. Although that could mean that all the songs dry up. Well, no, no, because she, she was her most. I mean, we could get into it. She was her most <laughs> prolific during her most recent relationship. Like in lockdown, she wrote two albums back to back, and she was in quite a happy, stable relationship at that point. So I don't think we ever need to fear that. This is all okay. her I mean, <laughs> I'm like, don't even say that to me, James. I know you're joking, but I won't. I won't hear of it. I don't really know much about Taylor Swift. Full stop. I knew she's a country music star who's transitioned through a lot of different kind of phases. But I, I know that she dated Tom Hiddleston once, maybe. I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, that, but that was like a month or something. But that's literally as far as her personal life and what it relates to her music. I I know none of any of the backstory. You know what it did mean for me, just as as an audience member, is I I was just taking pretty much everything on surface value. There are a few songs I was like, oh, she wrote that. You know, I didn't realize, but the majority of them, 
were pretty brand new to me, which was the same situation for the Talking Heads film, Stop Making Sense. I probably knew as many Talking Heads songs as I knew Taylor Swift songs going right. to both of those concerts. So right. That was interesting. I had seen the Talking Heads documentary and, and Taylor Swift was coming out around the same sort of time. So we thought, why not do an episode on concert films, cinematic releases of, of concert movies? Because that is an interesting offshoot of your the general film world. So we're going to start to, with talking about Taylor Swift's era's movie that we both saw last night. So we both we've both been hot off the press with it. <laughs> I just kept during the film. I just kept thinking about <laughs> you, James. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you maybe didn't go see it, but I just imagine you like alone, this man in his forties, sat watching the Taylor Swift era's movie with like all these like children. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, teenagers around you. It's it's not not far from the picture. I even had a little notebook, and I was going to take notes, <laughs> but like I kind of I realized it was pitch black, and I was just scrolling, and I was like, "Come on, James! Like you, you got to get into it." I took a few notes as well. Yeah, it's important important research we're doing. Um, yeah. So we're going to be talking about yeah the Talking Heads film "Stop Making Sense" that was re released um, a few weeks ago, and also "Amazing Grace." The film of Aretha Franklin's recording of her album of the same name. Should we guess? Just dive straight in and do Taylor. Abs- absolutely, yes, pl- yes, please. I had a great time at the cinema. I it was interesting <laughs> for me because the audience there. It was I would say it was like a just over half sold. A half of the seats were full, so it wasn't a sellout, but it was busy. Mm. Um, and it was a kind of audience. I was thinking about this just before we recorded the podcast. When's the last time I saw this audience, which was primarily people, I would say, in their teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, small pockets of guys there as groups, uh, but not many. As groups? A lot of, yeah, yeah. I saw like three guys sat together, another three guys sat together. Oh, um, but, that's so yeah, nice. I wouldn't say it was like overwhelmingly women, but it was like skewed towards younger women plus their boyfriends, I would say. A lot of the, a lot of the guys there I could see were part of a couple. Um, but I was thinking, when's the last time I've seen anything remotely like this in a cinema? As far as an audience, I was like, oh yeah, it was probably when I'd see like Avengers: Infinity War, the the end of the ten years of story build up they had. That's the last time I saw this kind of demographic all enjoying a film together. Why? What What's the usual demographic? Oh, it, it depends on the film. I see a lot of different types of films in the cinema where it's busy and it's a predominantly like teens to 20s female skewing crowd like that I don't often see in the cinema. Right. So you're saying that this is a demographic that's not been catered to, do you think? For sure. Like I say, three years ago, I saw something similar to that at at Marvel films. The last few Marvel films I've even been brave enough to watch, nobody's there. They're just Mm. fucking ghost town cinemas. It's, It's like random groups of people and it's certainly not packed out like it used to be so i did feel like the, the this was an experience for young people like maybe we used to get from films 20 30 years ago like a communal shared something special happening that was the feel i got what was it like at your screening well i mean you're forgetting barbie for sure sure yeah <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely i mean uh, i'm absolutely forgetting barbie yes yeah. <laughs> i feel but, like uh, barbie but... it was like a it was like an extension of the barbie demographic i would say um, Maybe yeah, yeah, sure. And then, and not as not as nearly. I mean, the the buzz around that film, the like the the event screening with that was like full on, and it wasn't quite as much as that. And it was it was similar. It sounds like it was similar to yours. Um, it was probably like three quarters full, so like pretty full, but not packed. You got went to a more regular screen. Did you go to the IMAX? I don't think you did. Did you? I went to the IMAX. Oh, you it did. Was, 
Yeah, it was an IMAX screening, but it was also, it was like really late. It was like nine and the film is nearly three hours long. Even with that insane running time and end time, it was, that was pretty busy, I guess. But yeah, it, you're right. It was like, a, it was definitely, a, there was a bit of buzz around seeing this. And there were people standing up and dancing in the yeah, audience. Yeah, we had that. And people for, 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 singing once along. 19- once we got to the 1989 era, because the whole show is about the different eras of a career. Once we got to 1989, immediately, like, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the cinema stood up, maybe not quite that. But yeah, people yeah. Were, were getting more vocal. There was lots of applauding between songs that were oh, definitely really? in the audience as well as on the on the sound system. I clapped a bit and whooped a bit, but actually, in, in general, apart from these few pockets of people who were up and dancing, everyone was just sort of quite stayed well, in we, their seat we are reserved brits yeah <laughs> exactly i always i felt i had the same feeling watching the talking head so i'm like my god we're such a repressed people that we all have to <laughs> yeah. and i mean i was the same um but i want to hear more about your experience as someone who is coming to this not as a as a taylor swift expert as a cinematic experience what did you think of it if you want to see the state of the art in modern pop music, if you want to hear that, if you want to see state of the art as far as what a stadium tour can achieve, and then also how well that can be recorded and presented, it's all state of the art. You know, you're, you're seeing best in class. I mean, the ex- tickets were expensive. Did you pay like £22.48 for your adult ticket? I paid £26.50. What? You That's... paid a bit more than me. Gee whiz. So, yeah, so it's expensive, but, you know, I thought, well, you get your money's worth. I I was thinking all the different ways that this might appeal to some Taylor Swift fans. Like, if you've already seen the show, I've heard, like, from reading reviews, that it's often hard to make out her vocals because it's kind of swamped by all the people. Then, you you know, you're getting, like, a crystal clear, pristine... That's true. uh, like presentation of this of the stage you, you get to see everything you're essentially getting the best seat in the house all the time you, you know nothing can compare from being in the audience it's almost like a good advert like i was so impressed with with how it was all staged you know i could see the appeal of going to this concert and if you've been you're getting to re-experience it but this time you can hear and see every detail yeah yeah you're right i mean i read a review which said that it will be a great marketing technique people will see and then want to get tickets and it's like well all the tickets have already sold out mate so there's there's no chance of that but as a general I think for future tours it is a good good marketing so I have tickets to the UK leg of her tour her era's tour next year so I will be there but I was watching it thinking oh I'm actually having initially when I heard about this tour film I thought I don't really it'll be like spoilers why would I want to see it when I'm going to go see it myself actually this was like the most amazing like part of her tour in this huge stadium in in Los Angeles very different I'm sure setting and staging to what there will be in Liverpool I'm sure Liverpool will be great but it'll be a different kind of a thing so do you think do yeah you think- I think so all right. I, I imagine that 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 I imagine that they would define the parameters of their locations that they're going to stage the tour, so that at minimum, it, you know, they can fit in everything they need to put on the show. Do you think my, this is just in my yeah, head? Maybe I don't you're go, right. I, I I don't go I don't go to many stadium concerts. That, that's another thing I was thinking. Like just in, as a general thing, I don't see much live music. That's that's just like kind of I think my thing is I go to the cinema quite a bit. So I'm it's not something that I'm used to. But um, yeah, I was just thinking that surely because. You're gonna see. You're gonna see if that's an advert, and you go to Liverpool, and it's like Taylor Swift on a cardboard box strumming a guitar. You'd be like, you know what, Taylor? I saw the film. I want the film. Yeah, no, I. D- I mean, of course, it's not going to be like a tinier scale, but I just, I don't think that the stadium in Liverpool will be nearly as big. 
Fair, m- m- maybe, having but, been but, there. <laughs> I might be wrong. Maybe it just looked massive in the film. <laughs> well, that's, that's the other thing about f- filming live concerts. Like, because I've actually been involved with the filming and the editing. I've actually edited some li- um, oh, really? live concerts. Yeah, one with REM who, who performed. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's so cool. multiple cameras. And, and the thing is, they do look much bigger on camera. I mean, I'm sure it is epic in scale. There's no way around it. But a lot of the wide shots you shoot on wide angle lenses and they have the uh, the property of elongating distances and stretching things out. So, right. yes. It's a stadium concert tour. It's definitely on a big scale, but the way it's shot will also emphasise that scale. Well, it whetted my appetite. I was, I was <laughs> like, I can't wait for next next. I summer. mean, like, it's like, going to be amazing. As as soon as the film started, um, you could tell like it was an electric electricity going through the audience. Everybody was excited to be there. <laughs> so I picked up on it. I felt excited. It felt like I was watching. I mean, as well, the weight of expectation. This is a pop cultural moment, isn't it? Like the the tour has mm. been incredibly successful. This film has broken loads of records as far as pre-sales. It's like 150 million in pre-sales before anyone even went to see the film. Yeah, bring it back to Barbie. It's beating Barbie already. It's it's set to yeah. be by far the biggest concert film of all time. And it's very interesting, right? Because the uh, the deal that was brokered for this film to be released was with AMC Entertainment directly. Mm. So AMC Entertainment is an American company cinema that chain. owns cinemas. And they didn't use any kind of Hollywood distributor as is the norm, like a so middleman between. Middle yeah, yeah, it was AMC directly negotiating with Taylor Swift, which, I mean, is an amazing solve for the issue that the, the writers and actors strike has created because there is, of course, right now this like gap in cinema um, mm. in the cinema calendars from all the films that have been pushed back. So it's like an amazing solve for that problem. Um, and... And Beyonce's Renaissance tour film is, has also been brokered between AMC and them directly. Uh, right. So it's obviously, this seems to be potentially what's going to continue happening with, with, at least with the very big artists. Apparently, like for smaller artists who wanted to do the same thing, like they wouldn't have the kind of... Nah, clout. Uh, yeah, not just clout, but like the logistical like expertise to like make it happen because it's about apparently there it is actually quite a complicated thing to like orchestrate with multiple theaters not just with amcs but mm. um they were able to do that and yeah it's interesting it'll be interesting to see how that well, i, I mean th- it'll be great for theaters anything to keep theaters like busy and selling tickets well that, that's the thing I, th- I think for amc they they obviously must have jumped to the chance because it's, it's clearly getting a lot of people to come into the theater and of course theaters don't just make their money off the ticket sales they take it from all the concessions so you've got hundreds of people who come to a concert wanting a good time you know there was the taylor swift branded um like sylvania popcorn buckets and all that kind of stuff and drink mm. stuff so it, it's it was a busy cinema on a Friday night, and that's not a guaranteed thing these days. Sometimes a Friday night at the cinema can just be as quiet as a Wednesday. And I've noticed as well that they're only going to screen the film Friday, Saturday, Sundays to increase the chance of it being like a, a busy audience to go and see the film. So, you know, it, it, like, like I did think this is a great way of getting younger people. And not only are they coming to see it at the cinema, they're coming to see it at the IMAX because that's been heavily promoted as the, the like the definitive way to see it because of the scale and the sound system. And so... I, I was thinking, thinking, I hope they have a good a good time with this and think, oh, you know what? Actually, it's quite fun to see an I'm a film on this size, this scale. Because a lot of the times, if they're not really, if they go see films the past ten years, they could have been fobbed off with a small screen, bad projection. So I was thinking, at least they're getting like a top quality package for their money on a Friday night. Yes, yeah. You know what it made me realize though? I really don't like the uh, the IMAX at the BFI. 
it's Ooh, like a tell horrible me, tell me why. it's 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 such a horrible environment the seats are so close together and yet so and the 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 gray of the of the oh, seat the rake the, the rake the, thank the rake. you the rake is so steep that you feel really uncomfortable whereas the cinema i was at last night lots of space so it felt like it felt it just felt way more comfortable i didn't feel so like claustrophobic the, the, this is the thing with the bfi imax i got to say let's take the seating out of it and let's just go for picture and sound the best in the business just as far as as far as how big and the quality and the and the sound system of the bfi imax is it's even ludwig goranson who's the composer of the last few nolan films says it's the best sounding imax he's ever been to and i have to agree because it's a custom-built auditorium so they've tuned that boat the seating is appalling it's, it's really really i, it's really I bad. hate being big, there big, big because uh IMAX, when it was originally created, wasn't meant for features. It was meant for 20-minute documentaries. So you get your school kids in, you get your tourists in, you pack them in for 20 minutes, you can bear that seating. Uh, the, the raking means that everyone gets a very clear view, but the, the amount of speed, like, it is unpleasant. And that's why for Oppenheimer, I got us seats that were right on the edge so we could nip out, stretch your legs. Like, it's it's uncomfortable for a two-and-a-half, three-hour film. Um, so I, I totally appreciate that. We're going to see Gravity, which at least is 90 minutes, Lily, so we'll be in and out before your knees give in. Oh, God. Yeah, well, that and that's another thing about the Taylor Swift film, era's film, is that it it's nearly three hours, which is... I think that's too long. I and, and I say that someone who knows all of her songs, loves them all. So I was invested in these performances but they could have cut it down a little bit more i think yeah. i don't i don't think we needed that much <laughs> I, 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 I agree i agree like like um watching all these films i've watched three now in the space of a week and you know the one thing that is missing from the cinematic experience is like a story narrative and i think three hours is a long time like each song in taylor swift's oeuvre is a little mini story they're very cinematic and she's very like camp performance doing hand gestures to match with her lyrics it's all it's 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 all it's all good stuff but 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 like for three hours i think i'm craving a bit more a bit more basically from from being sat in the cinema yeah and i mean we'll talk about it more as we talk about these other films but to be honest i i was thinking i could not be an objective judge of 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 a concert film when it's Taylor Swift because I'm so in, invested in the music. But I really, my feeling having watched these all these films in the last couple of weeks is that I'm happy for them to be there if it gets people into the theater, into the cinemas, that's great. But I don't yeah. think concerts are made to be shown in a cinema. I, I enjoyed watching it, partly buoyed by the knowledge that I would myself be there in the audience in six months time um but like to watching a concert from a seat in a cinema all I feel is I wish I was there I feel this like real disconnect and you're right without any kind of narrative arc taking you on the journey at least with Taylor Swift I actually thought what helps is you're right the songs themselves are quite um narrative but also having lot, seeing the audience quite a lot, you know, the way it was filmed with lots of footage of the of people dancing and that sweet little girl that she gave a hat to at one point, that like adds an elative an element of this like there is a narrative of her experiencing this performance with her fans and then connecting and vice versa. So that that gave it something. But when I was watching Stop Making Sense, I found it very hard to remain engaged because 
you're just you're sat with this really obvious disconnect between you and the actual performance that is there you know a, perf- an, a live music performance is there to be enjoyed in person to be experienced and it's quite hard to do that when the when you are so aware of the of the screen between you yeah yeah i agree with you like there's nothing quite the same as being physically surrounded by seventy thousand other fans in the middle of it but this is a good i mean you know the thing is i paid 23 quid for the ticket which is expensive for cinema but cheap for if you were paying for a concert ticket i think i also felt like that's a good value proposition like here's the closest you can get to seeing her live but it's not the same as live and for that amount of money like you know it's you know, I was all the reservations I might have had about the other two films we're going to discuss to do with the quality, the way it was filmed. They're all addressed here. You know, it's 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 perfectly finessed. It looks amazing in the 4K on a big screen. It's it's very immersive. It's still not going to get you the same experience as being there. But this is this is good for if you you know you you haven't got a ticket or you just want to experience it. It's a good middle ground. Yeah, and seeing if an artist in like a huge stadium concert is like you know, my least favorite environment really for seeing live music. And f- for a lot of people, it'd be way too much and they couldn't handle it. So it's it's great to have the option of being able to see it without that kind of intense environment. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was thinking, I think I've never been to a big stadium concert ever, full stop, just in my life. And I just, and I think perhaps it's because I think it might be a bit overwhelming for me. So I love to see, you know, this, this to me was like, oh, great. I get a bit of that vibe, but then I can go and have a break. The only downside was I had a few little breaks just to kind of give myself a few minutes out, out of the theatre. And the thing is, the cinema was also pumping Taylor Swift songs all around the venue. Yeah, they were at <laughs> mine as well. I, I guess that was part of the deal, maybe. Yeah, you know, it gets you in the zone. But I was like, I just want a minute, just a minute. <laughs> so you actually <laughs> went out for a second just to... <laughs> just, just to refresh in my head. I mean, it's a, it's a long-ass time to be there, you know. Um, it is just so... Just yeah, it's so long. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, musically speaking, lyrically really connect with her but there are certain things that I like for me um an an issue was the styling oh Uh, talk me through this the costumes were sort of for the most part really bad really bad but that's part of Taylor Swift's brand she's known for not for not being a stylish person oh Um, right you thought that I I didn't I I thought they all looked fine but but really bad in what way drill down more in that what made them bad um just that they were objectively bad, really. It's hard to say. I mean, look, see, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> see, look, uh, sequins are, and jewels and sparkly things are like part and parcel with a concert performance. That I yeah. get. Um, but there was just like, I mean, I don't know. I'd need to go through each outfit and explain to you. In her, oh, during yeah. yes, please. During during uh, Evermore, she wears this this yellowy, um, more kind of boho kind of long dress and I just felt like it was so average the color didn't really suit her and it was so I could have found her a nicer dress if I'd have just popped into you know free people Uh. myself so that was just it didn't have the like it wasn't special enough for a concert performance and then there was this horrific dress during the speak now era thank god they only showed one song for that era because she was wearing this dress with this huge, it was kind of Victorian-esque huge bustle at the back. And honestly, she reminded me of the termites and ants in that outfit <laughs> or like a snail or something. Like it was such a bizarre 
can't um, remember that one. That, that era must have slipped me by. Yeah, it was like a big purple dress. I just, it was just like, not not nice, not nice. And like, so, there was a, quite a few moments where because she wanted to do a costume change, she had something else on it over the top. And like often that thing over the top just didn't look that great. Like she had this purple thing on at one point over. What she looked great in was like the sequin bodysuits. And I loved her snake at the reputation era snake one leg cat suit was fantastic. So she's good. She the cat suits and all the those fitted things look really great. But the right. rest, the baggy t-shirt at one point she had this like slogan t-shirt. I was like, oh, get rid of it, <laughs> get it out of here. But the boot <laughs> She she looked great in the boots. The boots she yeah, started I in. Yeah, I was like, I can boots. tell you're really feeling yourself in those <laughs> Louboutins, <laughs> and I'm like, great, good for you. Um, so yeah, that was that was my main struggle during the the show, actually. <laughs> because there's two, there's two thoughts I have in, in in thinking about that, which I was con contemplating during the show. The first one, which I don't think addresses what you're saying, but it's related, so I'll get it out of the way first, which is. The thing about translating stage plays and stage like um, live music performances, they were never meant to be viewed that close up. You know, you, the cameras, you, you are getting a viewpoint uh, as an audience member of this film that you Such never get a good at the point. concert. Yeah. They were never designed to be scrutinized that close up. So, for example, the I mean, it was all top notch. I have to say, even even saying that, it all pretty much held up. But perhaps there's an element of the 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 costume design has to punch through at a stadium level. Perhaps, yeah. And then there's a there's a second thing which I think more is more is perhaps addressing your point is like I was watching, thinking, oh gosh, it's a Taylor Swift style. She's got this ability to feel very relatable and like, oh yeah, we'd get on if we met, but also being a massive superstar. So maybe there's an element to the clothes not being the most perfect mind-blowing that it, it helps with this relatability, perhaps? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was talking about this with my sister last night when we were coming back from the film, is that Taylor Swift, her success is in part because she is an incredible songwriter, but her songwriting, the lyrics are incredibly relatable and often quite pedestrian in a way. Uh, <laughs> the mu I, I, I do think she's an incredible like musician and songwriter, but she has that and that that works very well with her her look. She's very beautiful, but in this way that is quite girl next door and it feels yeah. not like I've, I you know, you compare her to say Beyonce. Beyonce's Beyonce brand is like, is like Goddess, Goddess. Super, <laughs> superstar. Um, we, you know, she's someone you look up to. Whereas Taylor feels, and it, and that, and it works again. That works for her because her voice is like that. You know, Beyonce has this incredible, powerful, amazing voice, and Taylor, so she has this beautiful and very strong voice. Actually, she's a very good singer, but there's something about it which sounds quite normal again and like, like the, and, and relatable and like you you always think you could sing like as well as she does uh, oh absolutely part of me thought as well is this like the ultimate fantasy when you're um you know gr a kid is that i want to be a famous pop star and you know i want to sing my songs and you, know, you practice in the mirror and this is almost like the ultimate realization of that fantasy that here's somebody who you can you can almost imagine you might you might be on your level to some degree, even yeah. I'm sure in reality. But but like but that thought was going through my head all the way through. I thought this is that's that's a genius move to pull off to be both the biggest star on the planet, but also seem very relatable. Yeah, and I feel like that it's that's why her brand has been so successful because all of that that I think that is genuinely who she is, but it also fits with every other element of her. You know that all of that is completely consistent. And you're right, part of that is 
her wardrobe, which is quite normal. <laughs> and also another part of that is her dancing. You know, she is not a good dancer. She's quite a clumsy, awkward dancer. And I feel like in this tour, she really, really owns that and leans into that and goes for that. And that's part of it. And and that, again, it kind of all feeds into the same kind of relatable brand that that has at moments been a bit rocky, but but we've landed at a point where everyone is kind of on board with it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could I could see that you know she didn't lean too heavily to dancing, but the dancing which was there, I enjoyed it. It wasn't like I wasn't I wasn't brought out of the experience to think God Taylor. So you know it was it was good enough. I, I also know it's just the way it was directed. This film, it, it's all about Taylor. Like like the camera doesn't really leave her. You know she's the center of which again, if you go to a Taylor Swift concert, I get it. But compared to the other films that we watched there was at least some appreciation of the other people the other people in the in the in the stage show get close-ups and that kind of whereas it's very much it's, it's taylor focused in this film i feel like i saw a bit of her her backing people and stuff for sure for sure but but, but at, we rarely we rarely go with them we it, backing people they're fine and they're in shot but they're all orbiting around taylor yeah whereas in the other film, but i think that's films, correct we, right like i mean yeah i'm saying it's not, <laughs> it's not a criticism i'm just saying it was noticeable compared to the other two that we are we are very much all orbiting around taylor swift and you know if i pay by 20 bucks then sure that's what i want but to talk about the direction so it was directed by sam wrench who is actually mm. a british director who's done a lot of these kinds of concert films that's kind of his thing I had I had made the assumption that I thought perhaps Taylor might have herself directed it because she is yeah, I making a foray into, into directing. But you know what? I thought as soon as the film starts, I thought, oh no, I see why not because this is the skill involved in creating a concert film is very very different. At this quality, yeah. is very different to what I I see for her future because you know she's done a bit of directing of her own films. She did the all too much video, and I think that's the kind of that kind of indie looking lo-fi film is probably, I could see that's where she's going. I say that, but the rumor is that she's going to make a film about, based on the song she did, The Last Great American Dynasty, you know, that the song that was based on the life of uh, Rebecca Harkness, The Socialite. And it's an absolute banger. And she kind of, towards the end, compares herself with this woman. There are some like, you know, uh, commonalities between them of being judged because they're basically women having a good time doing what they want. But there are rumors that the first film she'll direct will be about Rebecca Harkness and the story. Oh, yeah. And, and I expect it will get a big IMAX release. Even if it does become a smaller personal drama, we'll still see it out on IMAX. We'll see it on the premium screens because she's a, an artist who not only has a huge fan base, but a fan base who are willing to pay for it. So we, we, you know, we will be getting uh, Taylor Swift, the IMAX cinematic experience uh, for a drama debut. That's my prediction. Bring it on. <laughs> I mean, Bring it yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, yeah, I thought maybe she directed this, but the thing is, I did work for a production company where um, the director of the company, his his um, specialism was directing live music, and it's a completely different skill from any other kind of directing. It's it's nightmarish. You've got to be so across every single camera and where it's got to be repositioned to get the next shot. You know, and you don't notice all that stuff, but and, and that's happening uh, in real time because they had three different performances to, to choose from. Um, when they filmed eras, you know, it was three night consecutive nights in, in the LA um, stadium. So they could pick things up and stitch them together, but it's just so, it's it's such a skill. I mean, it's seamless and slick. This is like, while it doesn't quite have the kind of 
handcrafted feel of the other two that has a bit more personality of the director. This is just a slick, you know, th this is how the, the very best concert videos are directed. Don't expect anything beyond it looking incredible, but that's kind of all you really need from this kind of film. But that's a perfect segue into our next film, The talking about how complicated it is and how the the, mm. the technique the skill needed to to direct something like this because our next film is amazing grace directed by sydney pollock which which was a su surprise to me when the film started like oh my god yes tell, <laughs> tell us who sydney pollock is james well, well sydney pollock's like he's he's slightly underappreciated he never really broke out as somebody who was a name that could market a film like spielberg and nolan but mm. he, but he's somebody who when he when you watch one of his films you can see it's made by someone who loves the craft he did out of africa he did the firm with tom cruise i think tootsie is possibly his best known film the comedy uh with um dustin hoffman so he love that film though it hasn't aged very well he's a generalist filmmaker he could turn his hand to anything. So I was surprised um, when he, I saw his name on this Aretha Franklin documentary because watching the film unfold, you can see that it was thrown together at the last minute. It's very a ramshackle. It does feel like nobody had a heads up about this and that they were like, shit, who can we get to direct it? We need somebody good. Uh, let's draft in Sidney Pollack. That, well, that was my they, feeling. They had a different director actually who had done these sorts of, uh, films before um, but then Sidney Pollock he had just made uh, They Shoot Horses don't they which mm. I haven't actually seen it's on my list it sounds like the most amazing story apparently it's about um, a dance competition where you have to dance until you drop basically in the last person standing who's still alive wins that right. apparently it's incredible but it's on my to watch. Just haven't actually seen it. But anyway, that film was like had so much buzz around it. it was a huge hit, and so off the back of that, Sydney Pollock's name was thrown into the ring, right. and they wanted a big name to to make it. Yeah. So he came on board, having never done this kind of film before, and yeah. and did not bring any basically any technical expertise to this. He didn't basically he just didn't use clapperboards for each of the recordings. And they kept stopping and then starting again, recording multiple cameras. I don't want to get too much into the technical detail, but the main thing was they just kept stopping and starting the film cameras. Right. And with no way to synchronize that to the music that was being recorded. And the, the, the point to make very clear is film cameras do not record audio to them. So they had mute clips, like, and they had apparently thousands of individual clips because the cameramen were just starting and stopping recording. Mm. Um, at random points so then you have to if it's somebody just playing the keyboard of a piano which part of the song are they playing apparently mm. when they first tried to go into the edit with it back in the 70s they hired a lip reader to try and figure out what part of the songs they were singing because they were they were basically high and dry so with the technology of the 70s even the 80s there's no way they could have done it i think they managed to get 20 minutes of material cut together and that was over months and using this uh, lip lip reader i feel like i should actually circle back just to uh to contextualize the film itself so oh, yeah. sorry for franklin she uh she organized to record her album amazing grace a gospel album i believe her first and maybe only gospel album she um she decided to record it at the uh, New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles in 1972. And so, yeah, it was kind of an additional thing that they decided to film her recording. So it's an amazing 
it's an amazing thing to watch because it's it's actually it's like the complete opposite of Taylor Swift's concert video in that it's actually not really a concert at all. It's a taping of an of album. So it's she's not performing in the way she would if she'd been doing a live show. It's a different yeah, kind no, of... Yeah, there's no set... There's no set pieces. There's no costume changes apart from the costume jump because they record it over different nights. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the absolute opposite. This is as bare bones it gets. In a church, it's not being custom designed for shooting in. You know, you can see cameramen on, on ladders and the lighting isn't great because it's a church. You know, it's not a film set and it hasn't been designed for this. So the, the image is a bit grungy and grainy. And you, you you know, Aretha Franklin essentially suppressed the film during her lifestyle because lifetime because she wasn't happy with it, and uh, I can understand why. It's the, well, the music, it was only the, it it wasn't so much that she suppressed it, right? It was that it was just at the end of her life when when finally Alan Elliot was trying to get it out there. I, I, her family said that she wasn't very well, and if they, I mean, who knows? I I did feel a bit like odd about reading that. I watched a documentary, which not a documentary. I watched a news broadcast which had right. some of her living relatives, and they were saying they just weren't happy. She just didn't seem happy with it uh, because she, uh, and they said they are interpolating here, so this is not like mm, the definitive word for right. her, but her relationship saying. She felt that the record company brought their A game to recording it. She just felt let down by the film company not bringing their A game. Right, and, and you can understand. And I and I can see that in the finished film. Like you've made this beautiful uh, album of gospel music, but the, the the film isn't this similarly beautiful confection. You know, it's it's a bit rough and ready. I love it for that. I preferred yeah, which, it to Taylor's, I, I if to I'm honest, and I like mega Taylor fan, but like. Seeing... It's got more. It's got more soul. It's got more charm, and it feels very, very raw. It's just amazing to see because there's nothing else to it, really. Well, there's a lot to it, actually. Yeah, okay. The footage might be a bit rough and ready, but what you have is Aretha Franklin's incredible voice, and she's only 29 in this film. It's amazing to see wow. her pretty young, and. And seeing her in the environment of a church where this is obviously, you know, she's clearly a very religious person. She's she's there not performing, but just in the music. It seems to yeah. be for her like a religious, as you'd imagine, being in a church, but a religious experience. That is like very moving to see. But around her, she is backed by this choir who sing amazingly. And oh they, they react as the audience do. They all react to her. They can't help but react to her. And I don't know, there's something at first when she walks in, she seems quite humble. And then you kind of, at least for me, I was like, oh, it's not so much that she's being modest. It's that this isn't a performance in that sense. She's not going to perform for the audience. With, yeah. she, they're there to give something to the recording, but she is there to just make sure she she's performs these songs the best she can and i think also just like being that moment of this like you know this is gospel music this is like a, a spiritual experience so yeah i feel like it was it, it being i think that quality adds to it but you're right and i can see why because she i'm sure as a perfectionist she would have done everything to make sure yeah. she sang to her absolute top and yeah, you're right. The footage, really. I can see why she wouldn't be happy with it, even though I like it for that. That does work in its favour as far as a document now of the time because it feels very documentary style. You feel right in it. It's all very yeah. rough and ready. You know, it's unrehearsed, basically, whereas Taylor Swift's uh, concert, it's rehearsed down to the nth degree. You know, you know that 
every night she steps on the same place as you know. Exactly. Because I was watching. Yeah. I was watching some of the shots in Taylor Swift, and there's like the camera sometimes circles round her right on stage. Then we cut to a wide shot, but we don't see any cameraman. And like, okay, because they were shot on two separate nights, and the wide shots from one performance and the uh, Steadicam stuff that's right next to it is from a different one. But they're so immaculately uh, choreographed that you know you don't even notice. You but know, I seamless. thought, James, I had the exact same thought at one point where she's looking at the camera and then it cuts away. And I think that pulling you out, actually, even though it's seamless, you're aware of, we're so aware of these uh, things yeah, yeah. now. Fair enough. Whereas, yeah, with, with Amazing Grace, you are also aware of the cameramen because you can literally see some of them see in them. the footage. <laughs> but, like, and there's, there's, there's one bit where you can see Sidney Pollack in the background oh, with, really? a camera, with a camera on his shoulder and what they call a battery belt strapped around his waist. It looks a bit like a hand Solo gun buckle thing. And he's there and he's right next to the choir, basically, and he's, he's trying to get a shot and he's angling in like, oh my God, he's knackering this shot because you can see him but then it finally cuts to the shot he's got and it's the conductor like really enthusiastically pushing his hands out and like okay it was worth it Sydney you got the shot yeah I, but it's, see, but it's I like, love that I love yeah, it yeah it's the definitive it's like run and gun it's the definitive of, of that kind of like just essentially they, they clearly got thrown in at the last minute with no resources no time like fuck it let's just see what we can get and and this is the result it took uh, nearly 20, 30 years before the technology of using computer editing systems where they could sort out all of these issues that up until the advent of computers, there was just no way they could have got the film made. Yeah, so this guy, Alan Elliott, he is credited as realized and produced by Alan Elliott in the in the credits. I think he worked at Warner Brothers where the footage had basically been shelved for, as you said, like 30 years. I think this was back in 2007. He he got wind of this and was a big Aretha Franklin fan. So managed to buy the the footage and put in a load of time with these editors, like getting it all synchronized and put together and cutting a few bits out. A lot out. of work. I mean, just, just from what I know of making these kind of thing, music concert things, that's a lot of work. Even yeah. now with compu computers, it's, thankless, it's a thankless grind. But I mean, I'm glad they did it because the fin you wouldn't notice watching the finished film. No, yeah, you would never, you would never know. And it does add a kind of, oof, like, like, well, we finally get to see it. Yeah, I think for anyone who was a fan of this album, and it was a huge, this album was huge, you know, it was a huge, a big selling album, the, like, the biggest selling gospel album of all time. Um, but in 2011, he, that it was slated to be released. And, and at that point, Aretha Franklin sued for an appropriation of her likeness without permission and Oof. then he tried again in 2015 she sued him again and then ah. after her death in 2018 her family made a deal with him and it was finally released in 2019 <laughs> worldwide so no no not really respecting aretha's wishes really, no I, I mean the, the the family was like very like adamant that if yeah, okay, I didn't hear this, but this I didn't see this interview that you spoke about, James. Well, the the interview I read, they were like, she wasn't well. If she'd have been well, she would have wanted it. It doesn't make her look bad. It's for me. And it's true, it doesn't make her look bad. She looks incredible. It's just so amazing seeing her perform like that. And I love her dad. There's a scene where like, towards the end of the film... Her dad, who is also a, a reverend, he gives a a little, I mean, you would say a sermon, but it's really just a speech talking about Aretha Franklin's talent and her place within the like the church community. And it's like really moving and like sweet to see. And so you, I, it, it, it is a very like favorable representation, I would say. But 
it's, it is a little bit uncomfortable knowing that she herself like <laughs> really battled to not have it released. I mean, really battled, like like yeah. multiple suings. It, yeah. it's, it does seem like she really didn't want that film coming out. And and yeah, I, I agree. It certainly doesn't do any damage to her legacy. If anything, it just it makes you appreciate her talent and her charisma even more. It doesn't feel like a performance. Like everything feels very spontaneous and alive, you know. Like when you're yeah. in a concert, there is a set way everyone behaves we all dance in our own way but there's like there are rules of engagement whereas in this <laughs> environment it felt like because it was a slightly more unusual thing right absolutely there's a texture uh, yeah like a docu exactly. a documentary texture that you really do feel in the moment in mm -hmm. a way that you you were definitely in the moment with eras to her but you it's a synthetic moment it's perfected to within and rehearsed with an inch of its life here this is yeah. documentary this is this is the real deal you know this is the it couldn't be more polar opposite to the Taylor Swift film, uh, yeah. but still an incredible experience, just just the opposite end. And I would say somewhere in the in betwixt the two of these lies our third film, Stop Making Sense. Absolutely, yeah. So Stop Making Sense, it came out in 1984 originally, this uh, concert film of the Talking Heads tour, directed by Jonathan Dern. But it was re-released this year I think because it's the 40th anniversary mm. uh, and so it was re-released in 4K. I, I have to say this one, as far as just di how much I got into the songs, this was my favourite. Just I, I, I didn't know all of their work, but I thought it was perfectly sequenced. It was stagecraft. It was just mm -hmm. on the very, I would say, the the bottom level of like the amount of technicality and the amount of money that was spent on it. <laughs> I don't think the bottom level... Okay, it I'm was more than me. the book because that. I mean, the whole thing was talking heads, right? It's a little bit more like arty and slipped back. It looks a little bit more like handmade and artsy. Yeah. But actually, as the show goes on, it becomes more and more of a like. That's the whole point, right? They start with nothing on stage, and it's just um, David Byrne with a boombox, and then we like build up to this like more complex staging. So it wasn't like the bottom level, you know. Sorry, yeah, I, 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 I'd like to officially take that back. I was just being a little bit glib. Compared it's, to okay, Taylor, it's yeah. To it's compared pretty, to Taylor, sorry, yes, it's it, low it's, key. It's, yeah, it's low key. There we go. I mean, <laughs> and I, th I think to be honest, these kind of performances, you know, th these walked so that Taylor could run. I think there's an element of like these, both how you stage um, a show and also technically how you achieve it. You, I think I think this was a precursor as far as. You know, there's lots of different themes throughout the show. Each most songs have a different setup for how it's arranged. I mean, I love the idea of each uh, song introducing a new member of the band one by one. So we start with David Byrne, then we have the bassist join him, and I was like, oh, this is a great way of just like almost easing you into the concert rather than starting really big. You build up to something. Jonathan Dem's concept for the film was simply he pitched this idea that rather than it being like a music video of lots of lots of cuts, lots of takes, a lot of energy and and also in, and with like behind the scenes footage or documentary, you know, interviews with the with the band, which was like quite, quite common for film, music films at that time. It was, no, no, we're just going to make it about the performance and just be there in the performance. Um, so you could argue that it's a pre If it wasn't for this, maybe we wouldn't have even got to Taylor Swift's yeah. era's okay. film. Uh, I don't love, I have to say I... For, I love Talking Heads. I'm a big fan of them. Right. Not as big a fan as Taylor Swift, I'd admit. I, okay, I didn't good know, to know. I didn't know every single song, but I, I knew like half of them, right? I knew the big ones. 
Yeah, uh, same. I, I knew the big ones. That that was it. Yeah, and I and I David Byrne is like this amazing like charisma. He's very sexy in this like weird, awkward, odd man kind of a way. So 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 that was all cool. But uh, I really, when I was watching it, I felt again this like real disconnect. disconnect. Like it's only an hour and a half, and yet in the middle point it kind of reminded me of being at Glastonbury and you're seeing a band that's like not your favorite band but your friend really likes it yeah. so you're like yeah yeah I'll go along I knew a few of their songs and <laughs> and you love the first song but then you start to like lose your way in the middle your legs are getting a bit tired you're thinking about who you want to see next and then you're like brought back for like the final 20 minutes and you're into it but you're also thinking oh good we've probably got only like one <laughs> or two songs left and I kind of so f- I kind of felt that when I was sat there I was like as much as I like talking heads and I wish I was at this concert, this looks like an amazing concert to be a part of just being sat here watching it. It's like, mm. again, this like, I'm really feeling the gap between the experience of actually being there and seeing a film in the cinema, which is obviously yeah. like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I love your, uh, your discussing it in terms of going to see a band at Glastonbury. That, that's mostly my experience of going to see bland, bands at music festivals. What I liked about uh, going to see it in the cinema was it was very easy for me to just have a few minutes break. If, I, <laughs> like, in the middle section, I just went out and, you know, had a few minutes and then just popped back in. And you can't do that when you're in the middle of 40,000 people in a field at Glastonbury. So I, I appreciated the disconnect. I took it, I saw it as a positive. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, like, and, and I did like how kind of surrealistic and slightly odd the performances were and i i felt it was it was a good representation of what it must have been like to have been there a bit like with eras it's like it's probably as close as we're gonna get but it's still got that disconnect i have to say as well i really loved the uh the 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 music the remix of the music like it sounds astonishing they've clearly gone back in and done a lot of work to to the multi-tracks it was a very good like just for the audio for me i thought it was very good well yeah it was so good that i was like at what some certain points convinced that they just stuck the recorded album over the top <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I mean i do think there were things like i think they've done overdubs afterwards and i think the same possibly with taylor swift i, I do think they've they went into the studio and added a few overdubs to help them out here and there but you know mostly it's it's a live performance i think yeah the other thing with it was the uh big suit david byrne wears for a few of the songs was the end that was yeah. quite a famous thing uh and i the thing with that, right, I was like, oh, it's so avant-garde. That's cool when he first came out of it. But then in the second song, when he takes off his blazer and it's just the shirt and trousers, this massive shirt and trousers, and he's dancing, it was even more like Fat Monica and Friends, you know? I was like, <laughs> right. I don't know if this, it looks like more like problematic than surreal. So <laughs> I wasn't totally convinced about that either. I wasn't sure if it I was like, wow, how's, well. how's, how's his trousers staying up? That's what I thought, because... <laughs> It's clearly must have some kind of padding that because because yeah. they don't they don't fit to his waist to to make the scale of the large suit work. They're they're at some yeah, distance. Yeah, no, from I his think it would have been some kind of suit underneath. I'm guessing with like um suspenders, perhaps. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so do you, do, as far as rating the styling of of, of uh, stop making sense, would you oh. say overall more effective or? Yeah, yeah, I love the styling. I love the styling because they were all pretty much most of. The band members were in some kind of grey jersey throughout, which very much was in keeping with the style that we've talked about this film that of the, and the whole concert as well. It's like pared down 
uh, strip back. Strip back. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, strip back. So it, it, it suited that. I mean, I was thinking, God, if they're getting hot, I'd be very self-conscious about lifting up my arms in those gray jersey <laughs> tops and stuff. But yeah, I mean, just as with Taylor, her like slightly badly styled costumes fit her brand and the and they they are like big and spectacle and glittery, mm. just like the show. Like it similarly with this, the styling worked very well. We're talking heads whole brand. This film out of the three we've seen with the sweet spot between being a little bit ramshackle and rough around the edges, but also being intentional. You know, there was a lot of thought that went into it. You know, you can see that. It was interesting, again, another another director not really known for his live music stuff. Um, th this clearly had much more thought and planning to how it was technically put together. But, uh, yeah, the director of Silence of the Lambs doing a, a concert video. Who'd have thought? Right, yeah, 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 because he was a big Talking Heads fan. He, he went to see them live, thought they were amazing. I think then saw them again a couple of years later and at that point pitched to them to to make this film. And they were already fans of his. They were like, sure, let's do it. Why not? I don't know. I think, as I said, like... I, it wasn't totally engaging for me. And I'm glad I saw it in the cinema to to know. But I think I just kept thinking when I was watching, I was like, I would like to have this at home on a screen while I'm making dinner or in the background when I have friends over on a projector or something. That I, I That's see. ideal. Like it's, it's because it was a really great restoration. And it was like, I spoke to this girl after the, and at the cinema after it and she was like a massive fan she'd watched it many times on youtube so for her she was like so happy to have been able to finally see it on like a proper screen and she was like seeing their faces clearly rather than you know because later on youtube was like amazing so it is yeah it's worth seeing if you're a fan but i don't i really don't think concert films i just don't think they're made for the cinema it's not I, the I, right I, environment I, for me I see where you could, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, like, there's certainly not the thing that I prefer to see at the cinema more. I prefer to see films. But for <laughs> me, it was like the fact that I could easily just go out and have a break and have snacks and just break it up. I see what you're saying. It, although it, maybe it's more suited to being more like how you traditionally listen to music, where it's more a background thing. So it's not the primary focus is what you're suggesting. I think I just, I was just longing to be there. And so, and then I was mm. getting a bit bored. You know what, you know what I kept thinking about was, Katy Perry, part of me. Have you seen that documentary? No. Now that is the sweet spot of film right. and concert documentaries because you see a lot of her performances of her tour at the time, but it is also a more traditional like music artist documentary where we follow her on her tour, we see her backstage, you, we get a bit of her backstory of her life, how she got to this point. But all of that means that when you because of the way it was like put together and and seeing this like personal insight into her and what's happening on the tour you get so invested in her life and her story that then when you right. see these songs which you know I don't think they're nearly as personal as Taylor's you know she doesn't write her own music but neither even so the way that it's edited together when you see those performances it's like you're more you, they they mean more to you and you're more moved by those by the show right. because you you know about what's been going on backstage you know she's just had a text from boo russell brand telling her it's boo. over there's so much it brings so much to it so that film i absolutely loved and i was engaged the whole way through so i think i think there's so, i know that jonathan jonathan dem was making a virtue and stop talking sense of let's just focus on the performance all about the performance but for me actually 
I need that human backstory element if I'm going to sit for an hour and a half without actually being in the concert, you know? Because, yeah, yeah. because we are so repressed. Like if everyone had, I saw footage of people watching Stop, Taking, Stop Making Sense in LA and like getting up and everyone dancing. But in the UK, we're all too staid to do that. No. Everyone just stayed in their seats and occasionally went, woo, Same. yeah. Oh, that, so. was, that was more than mine. This was a very respectful sat in their seats, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, all all three films, yeah, they were pure concert videos. None of them. I was, I in my head thought that Stop Making Sense would have more behind the scenes. More, yeah, that's what I was expecting. But no. And, and so yeah, so <laughs> maybe there is a thing for both of us that just a little bit more of that narrative. So it's like uh, it wouldn't have broken me out of anything to see backstage stuff, you know. But I guess that's a different type of uh, live music film. Yeah, and for me, those ones do work the best but yeah i guess it is just it's a slightly different thing that maybe they maybe, weren't really maybe maybe, the, maybe these aren't for us lily maybe you know yeah maybe because i was i was thinking about other music documentaries to recommend and they're all ones that are a mix like moon age yeah. daydream the most amazing documentary about bowie but it's like very much his life story peppered with incredible scenes of him performing on stage it's not yeah it's just not just concerts Absolutely. It's a wonderful experience. I saw that at the IMAX. That was a great yeah. to see. That was a cinematic experience that washed over you. Okay. So to conclude, not for us, maybe, but glad glad that it's happening. Keep going oh, yeah. and seeing your favorite artists in, in the cinema. Help cinemas stay open. Absolutely. All three films have got something to recommend them. I, as far as a pop cultural cinema experience, I had a great time with Taylor Swift's eras. But yeah, uh, good films. All right, James. So, shall we take a trip to the film pharmacy? Yes, please. Okay, so this week we were given the question, Hi, Lily and James. I've just started online dating again and some questionable films have come up during small talk. Do you have any red flag films? Any films that would make you veto a potential partner? Oh, oh wow, we're gonna are we gonna show ourselves as a cinema snobs? It's like it's a bit like looking at somebody's bookshelf, isn't it? And just thinking, okay, what are they reading? What's on the shelf? Because you gotta curate that goddamn bookshelf, even if you haven't read any of it. James, this just reminds me of the time that you um the first time you stayed over at mine and you were like gazing up at my bookcase and you said, Lily, all of the books in here track with you apart from this one. And it was like, I think it was, it wasn't the gift, but it was something like that, like the alchemist or the art. It was something like in that world. Do you know, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? I've forgotten what it's called because <laughs> I hadn't even read it and I had to explain. The secret to... or something yeah, like that. It was, it was something like that, and I didn't even know what the book was about. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, an ex-boyfriend bought that to me at a um, at an airport once, and it's just been on my shelf ever since." And I think you were honestly, you were about to reg, like you were about to veto me <laughs> if I hadn't have said that. You would have been. And I think, I think probably after I, I added that book to the like, you know, book library, one of those little like mobile libraries on the book on the wall Can't outside. Have that happening again. Yeah. <laughs> yes our friendship hung in the balance yeah <laughs> but it's uh, true i mean for me it's more like do you have books if you don't have any books that's like very worrying yeah that not is that i not... read much at all <laughs> no we gotta have books gotta have gotta, books gotta, gotta curate gotta, that yeah we gotta play pay lip service to literature even if we don't actually get into it so anyway okay so do you does anything come to my view is there anything um i mean the 
the thing is, it hasn't yet come up, but I would consider red flags if if these were considered like favorite films. If it was like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrel, but that's kind of I'm not going to meet many women who say that, right? Just just to be a little bit obvious, but but. If it was also just a male friend, I'd be like, ah, I'm not sure if this is gonna gonna work. I think you've I think you've hit the nail on the head though. I think gender is important, right? Because if you met a woman, a sexy lady who said that lock stock and two smoking barrels was well, so I feel like you'd be intrigued, no. I certainly I w- would. I would be very intrigued, you're quite right. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Maybe it'd be a not a green flag, but it'd be a curious yellow flag, maybe. Yeah, whereas oof, I'm trying to think of a film like if if a woman said her favourite film was I don't know, Bride Wars. I feel bad even saying that. That's so snobby. But if a woman said that, I'd be like, oh, okay. But if a man said that was his favorite, intriguing. I would, I would quite, I would sort of be endeared to him, though I would wonder so if we have much here's in some, common. Here's some dating tips we've just come up with, right? Just <laughs> take the opposite gendered film that might be a red flag and it turns it, converts it into an intriguing flag. point. <laughs> So if anyone asks you, you mean what your favorite film is, just think, ooh, as a so for me going forward, I'm gonna say Locks can do something. Bridget Jones's diary. Oh that no, we're doing that on the podcast at some point, James. That is the film Okay. Do you know this about me? This is the film I quote the most by far. I did not know that about you until right this moment. Every line is quotable. Literally. I said it literally just earlier. I was I was quoted. It just come, it just flows out of me. I mean, that is a fantastic film. It's a film I've not seen. It's just the generic like ch- chick flick go to. I've not seen it, so I, what? I yeah. Oh my god, James. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. You have so much to look <laughs> forward to in your life. God. See, I always th- I I always th- I always got Bridget Jones's diary mistaken with Prozac Nation, the book. <laughs> and so when 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 I oh finally saw like a clip of Bridget Jones's diary, it's like, oh, it's about like a regular person working in office and she dates and it's like it's not about hardline addiction i was gonna say for for our younger listeners prozac nation was a film a book a a best-selling memoir in the 90s right about someone suffering with an addiction to prozac so but i just got diaries (laughs) things that just fused in my head oh my god i'm obsessed with that that is i mean you've kind of summed up the cornerstone of like 90s diarizing you know self Referential literature, Bridget Jones diaries on one side, and then Praise That Nation on the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, okay, just to bring it back to the question, I want to say that there wouldn't be any red flag film for me. There's no red flags, just red flag people. Right? There's no red flag films. <laughs> no there red we go. flag films. Yeah, yeah, because you know, yeah, I don't want to be too ju- like you know, it's all subjective. We're just bringing our own opinions, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to judge anyone else we're not helping people here how to avoid those red flags we're so sorry it's too the 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 burden of responsibility on groovy movies is too much yeah that's a good point i don't think you should veto any partner based on their films but just note it keep it in mind add it to the tapestry of things you're learning about them and then make an informed decision okay well i think that's it for another episode of groovy movies thank you so much Uh, for listening Thank you very much for listening. And if you could give give us a, a review or leave a like, it all helps get the podcast out there. Absolutely. All right. So we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Follow us on Instagram at GroovyMoviesPod or email us GroovyMoviesPod at gmail.com. Groovy Movies was produced and edited by Lily Austin. Music and sound by James Brailsford. Our logo was designed by Abby Joe Sheldon. For references and more information about the films discussed, check out the show notes.